Welcome to Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Molly Hall, and on this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. This week, net zero. Now, you've probably heard the term, but do you really understand what it is and how it should be affecting every decision you make inside and outside of the office? Never has there been a more critical point for us to get to grips with our responsibility to the planet. So to help us get our heads around the way we should be thinking about net zero, we've brought on two people who know it better than anyone. Anne Mettler from Breakthrough Energy and Florent Andrion from Capgemini Invent. So I want to start with, with the basics. What does it exactly mean to be net zero? Net zero? mean uh, running uh, your activities uh, with uh, no CO2 emissions. Uh, So that goes beyond what a lot of companies have announced today, which is uh, carbon neutrality, which a lot of companies currently deliver through offsets and uh, I would say minimum real efforts of reducing their footprint. Okay, if we see things advancing in the way they're going, where we've got everything that continues in terms of climate change currently unchecked, what impact could we see that have on the private sector? Well, first of all, it's uh, on the private sector, it will be a very negative impact. But I know when we uh, spoke about this idea of climate neutrality, when I still worked at the European Commission, the private sector was, uh, of course, a focus, but it was really, this goes to the heart of the survival of humanity. So this is really an existential threat. And I think this is very much the way that public policy is viewing this now. There is a consensus that we have perhaps 10 to 12 more years to really turn this around. And this is why recently the European Commission made the targets, the emission reduction targets for 2030 more ambitious, raising them from 40 to 55 percent. And that is very much done in view of the fact that anything that we want to happen in 2030, we essentially need to do today. We need to start today. So we really need to step up our ambition. And interestingly, and going back to what Laurent said, you know, the private sector is waking up to this. And that has been in many ways very conducive to public policy, because before the private sector was oftentimes a stumbling block to bolder climate action. So it's good that the private sector is coming around and now finally taking action. Do you really feel that way? I mean, you mentioned it. You said, okay, it seemed at least in the past to have been this existential threat. It does feel like we've been saying very much these same ideas and sentences for decades now. We can even put it in. What concretely are you seeing in terms of impactful change? Well, I mean, I think we are all experiencing climate change in a way that maybe we didn't do five years ago. And I know that at least from the point of view of citizens, that has made a real difference and that has, has really had an impact. I think for companies, the reckoning has come simply because it's now showing up on their balance sheets. I mean, they're seeing what climate change has done, whether that's in terms of stranded assets that they are now sitting on or 
climate disasters that they have been exposed to, or also uh, seeing the gradual decline of the fossil fuel industry. So, you know, this is now, I have studied global trends for most of my professional life. And what I can tell you is there is something that is definitely different this time around. And it is now an overriding global trend that is, in my opinion, unstoppable. And the private sector, as I said, has come to realize that and is now finally coming on board. And Florent, I would like to ask you, are we now seeing, as Anne mentioned before, that it's because we're having this financial impact starting to show itself that the private sector is only now starting to really wake up to this because it's essentially getting hurt in the wallet? Uh, that's uh, exactly the discussion we're having with our client now. Uh, what's changed is that sustainability is becoming the business, the core business, and companies are entering into, uh, I would say, a net zero for several reasons because client asked them to, so they are clear client expectation. And soon, uh, if we look at the B2B space, it will become a must-have to have clear net zero target and roadmap and, and to be under a certain level of, of emissions. And secondly, also because the investors and the financial sector are now looking at it with uh, deep scrutiny. So the, the financing model of companies are also changing if they are not committed and if they do not show efforts to, have, uh, to reduce their negative impact on their activity. The finance world is making it much more a requirement than before. You know, I think what what is happening now and what companies are seeing is actually that those companies that were early leaders in sustainability are now doing better. And I found it very interesting. I read recently that the largest energy company in the United States today is actually a clean energy utility. So it's not a fossil fuel company. And so this is what I was speaking about earlier. This is a global trend. And those that were early adopters, they are now doing better. And I think this is what companies are starting to realize. And that's why they are now quickly sort of trying to reorient and uh, go to people like Florent to get good advice on how to do this quickly. Indeed. Are you finding so it's a kind of a bit of a game of catch up for some? Yes, completely. I mean, that's what I'm saying. The test of time has shown that uh, those that were early leaders are now the winners. So there's there's a whole new generation of companies that is coming forward with new technology, clean technology solutions. And as I said, they are the winners. In the United States, by all accounts, we've not had in the last four years a very conducive policy environment. Nonetheless, the largest energy company is now a clean energy utility. So I think that's telling us that there's something really big happening here and that's essentially unstoppable. So we're seeing companies now that are able to say, okay, before we thought that going green meant essentially spending more green and we're finally able to see that actually it can be cost effective to get to net zero? Yes, and it becomes part and parcel of the business model. I would argue that before, maybe that was sort of corporate social responsibility or I don't know what, but now it's really becoming part and parcel of the business model. And that is really sort of a systemic change that's occurring in the business community that is genuinely different from, let's say, a decade ago. This being said, we've got this real sea change, essentially, and the momentum is finally here. Now, this is not a small task, as we've all said, and I know the dates have been pushed back, but we are 
all essentially feeling the urgency. So what are we seeing in terms of an actual strategy? Is is what is required to make this a reality? So timing is critical. Timing is key. And I like to think that uh, sustainability is the new digital. We saw exactly the same uh, trend back uh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when uh, we saw the digital transformation wave happening. So it started with a, a few uh, leaders and a few uh, top managers seeing it, and it took quite some years to be uh, rolled out massively. Here, we have no choice because it's more than a business issue. And what's critical is that we need to go beyond big announcement of carbon neutrality. We need to go beyond the, the race. It's not a race. It's a common goal. So what needs to be done when you're a company is that you need to really put that into motion. And uh, we are discussing with companies their transformation now is not to set targets, it's to engage really the transformation across all their activities and to embark all their people because it's uh, not only a top-down issue, it's a company-wide issue. So Embarking the staff, embarking the stakeholders is critical to really change the operation, change the processes and adapt the business model to these new sustainability frameworks. Essentially, you need sort of a productive interplay between sort of the role of the public sector and the role of the private sector. And in the public sector, we're seeing that the European Green Deal is now really the overriding policy objective of the European Union. That means that everything, essentially a whole of government approach to meeting these targets, which we spoke about in the beginning and leading to climate neutrality in 2050. So the role of the public sector is very clear in sort of setting the rules and creating the framework conditions. What is interesting, and this has always been a challenge hitherto, is that nonetheless, one faces a massive collective action problem. So even if Europe was leading, what would happen if the rest of the world didn't go along? And that was essentially the world we have faced to date, because Europe was always ahead of the curve. But with the result that, you know, if others are laggards, we're not achieving the ultimate climate goals. What's different this time around is that uh, countries like China, Japan, South Korea, and soon hopefully also the United States have all made their own pledges for either carbon or climate neutrality, either in 2050 or 2060. This means that now a large part of the world and those that are the biggest emitters are now pretty much in consensus, have found a consensus that climate change is an overriding challenge and something must be done about it. And that gives me hope that this time around it will really be different. However, the public sector alone cannot do it either. And that's why the private sector is absolutely needed because there are still many clean technologies that either need to be developed or they already exist, but they haven't scaled. Thanks to the International Energy Agency, we know that more than 50% of the CO2 reductions that we need to get to 2050 will need to come from technologies that are not yet commercialized. That means they may exist, but they're too expensive. They're too marginal. They're not being used. So a lot of our thinking needs to be around how do we essentially unleash these technologies? How do we make them happen? And this is very much was what was at the root of this report, which is the basis of our discussion here today. 
And indeed, what are you finding in terms of the ability to really let technology that's perhaps on the cusp come to the forefront to make this a reality and things to ramp things up to scale? Well, I think there are a number of aspects here. Number one is that research and innovation need to be front and center here. So this is not a good time to cut research and innovation budgets. If anything, they need to be scaled up. Secondly, I already said before, these technologies exist, but they are too expensive. This is why we need to bring down what Bill Gates likes to call the green premium. So this is the difference in price between a product that emits CO2 and a product that doesn't emit CO2. And oftentimes the price differential can be substantial. So a lot of our thinking should be around how do we bring down the green premium? The European Commission is thinking about what is called a carbon contract for difference, which is essentially buying down the green premium, therefore making it more attractive to use these low carbon or no carbon uh, products. So for me, for, for the public sector, we are now past awareness raising. We're past just setting the targets. It's now about how do we operationalize it and how do we make it happen? Indeed. And, and, and Florent, and just finding this connection between saying, OK, public sector, these discussions have been had, you know, whether or not it's the Green European Green New Deal, the, the EU's 55-point action plan that's involved. Are we seeing the dialogue between the two, both public and private, that it is coming into unison? As we say in the report, there is a clear need of uh, investment to uh, accelerate, scale this innovation. But this uh, investment doesn't have to be all public funding because there won't be enough. So the public funding uh, is really more a trigger to uh, increase uh, and attract some uh, private investment. We are seeing now a good, very good level of dialogue, and I know that the Commission is uh, organizing a lot of uh, meetings with the private sector to understand what are the, the roadblocks to finance those innovation, what can they do in terms of regulation to uh, de-risk the investment and make it easier. Is it going fast enough? Probably not. And the question we often have from the public bodies when we discuss about this topic is what can we do to help? What can we do to make it happen beyond the funding, recovery funding? And clearly, I think there is a joint role between public and private to accelerate that. So the public support must go beyond funding, must be in uh, easing regulation, in making uh, adopting sandbox, sandbox approach to enable those innovation to be uh, tested before regulated. And the private sector is really uh, keen to engage in such, uh, such transformation. Okay, well, so dialogue is on, the will is there, but we need the way. And as Anne mentioned, there are multiple ways that have been highlighted. Right now, if you're a business and you really want to start to get started and reach your net zero goals, where do you start? Every company needs to sort of have an idea of what is my carbon footprint. And as such, it doesn't just need to be the company's own carbon footprint. Every company has a value chain. Therefore, we need a better understanding of what we call scope three emissions. So these are all of the emissions that occur throughout the, the value chain. And that's quite difficult. That's not easy to do. I mean, for me, from a public policy perspective, I believe we need better reporting mechanisms. Companies will need to report on their carbon 
footprint, including on these scope three emissions. And uh, perhaps we even need new frameworks that measure carbon avoided or carbon reduced in a much more productive way uh, than than is currently the case. You know that a lot of what companies do today to, to reduce their carbon footprint are offsets, and that's fine. But a lot of these offsets are essentially nature-based co- solutions, which is okay. I mean, it's essentially planting trees or investing in renewables. I'm very much for that. But we, we need to think about essentially what companies can do to accelerate these new clean technologies that we know we will need. And that would be a good starting point. Okay. So the starting point is know exactly what you're putting out there into the world, yes. into the environment. That way you have a clear picture. Then next, what would you do? I mean, I think even on the reporting or even paying for offsets so that others essentially reduce your carbon footprint, when companies have to do it themselves, I mean, they have to essentially undergo that transformation. That is really quite difficult. And it is my hope that because European companies on balance didn't do that well embracing the digital revolution, that they will be more receptive to embracing this clean tech revolution and really see the opportunity that it holds in creating new markets and being sort of a first mover and enjoying the advantage that that brings. Because the writing is on the wall. This is unstoppable. This will happen. And companies need to find sort of the internal strength to do what must be done. And what have we been seeing then in terms of the team up with Breakthrough Energy and Capgemini Invent? What are, what are we seeing going on? Well, we reached out to uh, Capgemini when we understood that due to the COVID crisis, these recovery packages that are now coming to to overcome the economic crisis that has been triggered by the pandemic, that they were going to be so sizable that this was essentially a once in a generation opportunity to make Build Back Better, not just a slogan, but a reality. My worry was that based on the experience that I had in the public sector, that maybe this money would not really be invested, but rather would just be spent. Spent in ways that we did, let's say, after the 2008 financial crisis, or that we would just spend in the way we always have. That's when I reached out to the colleagues at Capgemini and said, can't we do something to essentially show what does a cutting edge, world class, clean technology project look like? In different areas, can you please find the most promising examples of clean technology projects that are ongoing now, that are ready to be scaled up, and that are ready to be built into new sizable markets? And they did a marvelous job of really scanning the horizon in in Europe and seeing what's out there that's really cutting edge and that can really serve as a best practice to others. Florent, what are we seeing out there? What is on the horizon? In our Fit for Net Zero report, we identified 55 technology quests, which uh, is, uh, I would say, uh, applying technology to uh, use cases on the different sectors. So I won't go through all of them, but uh, some of them are uh, very impactful. Of course, hydrogen is uh, something we had a deep look uh, because there is a 
12 technology quests leveraging uh, green hydrogen uh, promises, be it in transportation, for instance, on, uh, on shipping, be it for uh, decarbonizing uh, steel or cement, where we believe uh, hydrogen can have a very uh, big impact. In the transportation also, we believe at Capgemini that uh, smart technologies are uh, very impactful. So if you think that mobility as a service rolled out and deployed massively across the largest region we have in Europe, this could reduce the CO2 amount. In building also, everything related to uh, smart building and uh, acceleration of construction and renovation wave, leveraging uh, 3D printing, uh, geomodeling, etc., has large impact. And last, in a sector which must not be uh, forgotten, it's agriculture and land use, where what we call uh, agriculture 4.0, we can apply all those techniques to growing, uh, to growing food and, uh, and have less interest and less impact in the soil. And also another level which we looked at are uh, low-carbon uh, alternative to meat to move from a good steak to a, a low-carbon alternative one. And I just would like to ask, so then we have these these things and on the horizon. If we look at our time frame, we know we've got 2030, we know we've got 2050. How can, once again, if you are a business, depending on where you are, just in terms of, okay, we know that growth is an ultimate goal. Has that message still been made clear that growth can be green and that we can make this entire transition that is so clear that it's imperative to do? Yes, it is a conversation about growth. However, I think we all agreed that Europe, to the largest extent possible, wants to sustain its lifestyle, its health system, its very comprehensive welfare system. That cannot happen unless we are competitive internationally in markets, unless we have companies that can succeed globally. And so this is, for me, much more a question, how can we build the future corporate that will drive sustainable growth and build clean markets. Because let's face it, if this is not European companies doing it, it will be other companies from other geographies. And they may not have the same high standards as we have. It's in our own interest to make sure that we have uh, corporations that are competitive, that are in the race, and that can succeed not only here in Europe, but worldwide. Who has been leading the way? You're talking very much about how Europe can take advantage of this moment. Europe has been leading the way. I think it's very clear that the early successes, both in wind and solar, came out of Europe, but uh, others have woken up to the opportunity. Going back uh, to the point you made earlier around growth, it has always been very noteworthy that the countries that were both economically most successful, but also the leaders in environment were the Nordic countries. Uh, so in particular, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, those in many ways have been the most successful economies in Europe consistently over a long period of time. And they have managed to essentially combine economic, social and environmental objectives in their model of governance. The hope is that all of Europe can do this. How 
However, I will say that others have awoken to the opportunity. China is currently working on its next five-year plan, which will commence in 2021. And I know that clean technologies and environmental objectives will be very central to that next five-year plan. I also believe that the United States will see a step change now in embracing uh, clean uh, technologies and uh, the energy transition in a new administration. So many, many others are waking up to the opportunity. And now is not a time to be complacent about it, but is really to accelerate and to step up the efforts that Europe is making, because otherwise we will turn from a leader into a laggard. When we saw the landing on the moon and we saw the space race where it was competitors, is there a sense that the competition now is really, really for the greater good or is it really just fragmented? I always describe it as a race to the top. This clean technology race will force us to do more with less. It will force us to be faster. It will force us to really embrace net zero emissions. So this is a race to the top, not to the bottom. And it is my hope that Europe, as the most advanced or one of the most advanced economies in the world, is embracing that race to the top because uh, so far we have led it politically, but it's now also very important that we will lead it economically and through innovation and really developing the next generation of technologies that are needed to reach these net zero goals. That was a brilliant conversation and some great ideas to be taking forward into the new year. A big thank you to Anne Mettler from Gates Ventures, Breakthrough Energy, and Florent Andrion from Capgemini for joining us. Now, to find out more about our guests and the work Breakthrough Energy and Capgemini Invent have been doing, go ahead and tap the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Now, this podcast was brought to you by Capgemini Invent. We'll see you next week. Thank you.